0: Welcome to Redeemer Community Church in Johnson City, Tennessee. We're so glad that you are listening with us today, and we hope that this message is a blessing. Well, when when the holiday season rolls around, when it's appropriate to watch Christmas movies, I know some people there are certain actors that come to mind. Maybe it's Jim Carrey or Macaulay Culkin, or, or you know, or, or Chevy Chase. Like I don't know who your person is, but for some people, it's Will Ferrell. And maybe you're thinking, we're talking about Elf, but we're not gonna talk about Elf. Um, and one of Will Ferrell's movies, Anchorman, um, he has it all together. Ron Burgundy, he, he's a successful news anchor. Um, he has an apartment that, that smells of rich mahogany. He has many leather-bound books. Like He's got it all together, except for the fact he doesn't have the girl yet. But um, his beloved dog, Baxter, is kind of his, his, his companion, his right-hand man. Well, in the movie, he's driving to work and he's eating a burrito and he takes the burrito and he, he throws it out the window and there's a motorcyclist beside him, Jack Black. And it, it hits him, Jack Black crashes. Ron Bergen, he pulls over to see if he's okay. And, and he's like, he takes Baxter as a form of payback because, because the throwing of the burrito caused him to wreck his, his beloved motorcycle. He takes Baxter, his beloved dog, and he punts it off a bridge, right? And so the dog goes flying. And then so supposing that the dog is dead, he becomes just a wreck, okay? And so now everyone at the news station is wondering, where's Ron? Like, who's gonna deliver the news? I mean, Brick can't do this. Like, there's there's so many questions and where is he? And eventually they get a hold of him. He's in a phone booth and they're like, where are you? And, And he says, I'm in a glass case of emotion. All right, I'm in a glass case of emotions. And so this Christmas season, what we're doing is we are talking about the emotions of Christmas because emotions that are below the surface typically arise during the holiday season. Like, why is that? Why is it that things below the surface come forth? And for some people, their emotion is so much joy and happiness. I mean, they started Christmas music in early November, breaking the rule. And other people, they're just, they're decorating the first on their block. And they're just so happy. And you're like, what's in your coffee? And can I get me some of that? But for other people, um, Christmas is sad. I mean, there's, there's darkness. I mean, like, if you talk to anybody in the funeral industry, they'll tell you that deaths rise from November to February. I looked this up, and statistically, you're more likely to die from, Jan- from December 25th to January 1st than any other time of the year. And so what that means is the holiday season, and specifically Christmas, is a, for a lot of people, you've lost somebody. And it's a reminder that that grandma's not here, or your spouse is not here, or some someone that you loved is is no longer at the table or around the tree. There's seasonal depression. Um, there's there's the reminder of broken relationships. So for a lot of people, like they're like, man, I struggle during Christmas. And so we want a t- we want to talk about happiness. We're going to talk about that next week. But we would be doing a disservice to the reality that a lot of people, this is a hard time. And so today we're gonna talk about sadness. We're gonna talk about that in light of Christmas and maybe you're like, Jeff, that's not me. I promise you, you have a friend that you can now maybe speak life into from having a different perspective, a different understanding, or maybe this is you, but the gospel meets us not just in the highs of life, it also meets us in the lows. And so we're gonna talk about sadness. And to get there, we're we're gonna begin in Isaiah chapter nine. Right, starting in verse one, it says, but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. It says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness on them has light shone. So let me explain the significance of of what's happening here. Um, There's more historical context I won't go into, but just geographical context. If you ever go to Israel, um, Jerusalem is kind of in the center of the country, and north of Jerusalem is the area of Galilee. Um, if, you, if you go and, and do, like, the Holy Land tour, they'll take you to this, this place called Megido, and it's this cool hill. But this, this roadway was a, a strategic point for so many nations because if you wanted to get to Israel, if you wanted to get to Jerusalem, you had to come from the north to the south. So what that means is for Galilee, whenever conquering armies would come, they would first come through Galilee. They would, they would destroy the land. Then they would march to Jerusalem. Maybe they would conquer Jerusalem and live there for a bit. Maybe they wouldn't. But then on their exit, they would have to go back through Galilee, and then they would destroy it again. So Galilee was always double-attacked. What that means is is for them, this sense of hopelessness, this sense of darkness, this sense of defeat was was twice as much for them than any part of Israel. And and so he talks about the land of Galilee, the people who know darkness more than anybody else. And he says, on them, light has broke forth. It's, It's telling us that even in the darkest places, even the people who experience the darkest moments, like God's light is coming for you. All right, it says in verse three, you have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as the joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. And so in verse three, you'll see the emphasis on increased joy, rejoicing, gladness. And so this is that moment when you're thinking about knowing darkness and knowing what it feels like to be defeated to go, man, to have increased joy. To be able to to sing and to rejoice, to to find gladness rising up in your heart, you're like, I need some of that. So maybe that's you today. Like, does anybody here today personally need joy? Does anybody here today personally need to be able to sing and feel happiness? Does anybody in here today need to to give that joy or to, to, to have someone in your life experience that joy? Do you know someone that you're like, man, my friend, my spouse, my neighbor, like this, like they need this, right? And so, so how do we get that joy? How do, we, how do we multiply that joy? How do we experience that? Well, in verses four through six, we're gonna see three, four statements. for the, the word, not the number. So three statements that begin with the word four. So let, let's look at those three, four statements real quick. Verse four, for the yoke of his burden... And the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian, right? The first four statement is about the day of Midian. If you're like, what in the world is that? If you read through the book of Judges, there's this crazy story. Um, Israel is coming up against the Midianites. The Midianites have an army of 120,000 men, right? Israel has an army of 32,000 men. Right? So if you think about that, 32,000 versus 120,000, that's a pretty lopsided battle. But if you're the general and you're, you're rallying your troops, you're going to say, look, you guys, we're outnumbered by one to four, but I believe that each one of you can kill four guys. Like, if every one of you can take on four guys, we've got this. And you, you get them there, you rally them, you tell them they can do it, and everyone's like, all right, I got this. Four dudes, I can take them out. Like, you can rally. So 32,000 doesn't seem plausible, no, but does it, can you make someone believe it's doable? Yes, but here's what God does. He's like, I'm tired of Israel thinking that they're in control. I'm tired of my people thinking that it's their strength and not my strength. So he says, I want to reduce the army. And he reduces it all the way down to 300. Like this is the original 300 movie, all right? And so in this, 300 men conquer 120,000 Midianites, but what was clear after this victory was the victory wasn't Israel's victory, it was God's. The victory wasn't their strength, it was God's strength. And so, so the first four statement is driving home the point of it being God's victory, not yours, of it being God's strength, not yours. The second four statement is in verse five. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult. And every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. And so the imagery here is that of a warrior. Someone wearing their their uniform, wearing their boots. And what he says here is that the uniform of the warrior, it will not be needed. That can be fuel for the fire. It says that it will be rolled in blood. It will be burned as fuel for the fire. And so what he's saying with this second four statement in verse 5 is that, that finding light isn't about you suiting up. This isn't about you pulling up your bootstraps and you fighting for something. It's something beyond that. So what is the beyond? What's beyond you pulling up your bootstraps? What's beyond you suiting up for, for battle? Then we get to the, the next four statement in verse six. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is born is given. We see here is, is that this, this light is going to be in the form of a child. This light is going to be in the form of a son. And when it talks about how this child is given, right, that emphasis on the word given, it's showing us that light isn't an object to earn, but a gift to receive. Okay, let, let's keep going. He says, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, then emphasis on this last part of verse seven, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. All right, so the three, four statements for the yoke of his burden, for every boot, for the child given, is to drive home the point, the point, or the, the main emphasis is that the Lord of hosts will do this. That this is not something for you to achieve. This is something that God will do in our behalf. That God is going to fight the, the battle to conquer the darkness in the world, and that God is going to send forth light into the darkest places including our emotions and our hearts and our lives, but this is something that God is going to do, not us. Now, to to understand what's going on with that, I wanna come back to verse six. I want us to look at Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, um, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, but before we do that, um, let's talk a little bit. Okay, let's talk a little bit about sadness. Okay, so the word used in Isaiah nine is darkness. And so if you, if you study Scripture and you look at that word darkness, what does it mean? Well, sometimes it's literal. Darkness literally means you can't see. It's like, I don't know what's going on. I can't see anything. I'm going to trip. Other times, it's metaphorical. And metaphorically, it might be speaking of lack of information, which, which results in ignorance. Like you just don't know what you don't know. Sometimes it's metaphorically speaking of evil and corruption. Um, and then sometimes it's speaking of feeling hopeless, Feeling helpless, feeling defeated. And so what it's talking about here in the, the darkness that Israel's is experiencing is it's talking about their, their their ignorance, not knowing of, of the, the, the hope they have to come in the Messiah. It's talking about it's talking about um, hopelessness and feeling helpless because they're like, I don't know how to fix what's gone wrong in the world. And and so they're experiencing this darkness. And so what we need to understand is that for many people, the holiday season is metaphorically dark. For many people, when they, when they get into Christmas season, they feel empty, they feel lonely, they feel sad. And you start thinking like, what, what is it about Christmas that causes that sadness? For some, it's, there's increased financial stress. Right, you're trying to you're swiping that credit card um, to buy gifts, and you're maybe doing that with money you know you don't have, and you're thinking about like this is going to rack up a bill, and like yeah, the next couple months I'll I'll try to conquer that. But every swipe, you're just like, like I'm not making enough money. I'm not um, a successful successful enough person, and there's all these things that come on with the added financial stress. And for some people, there's just that that reminder of a broken relationship. Right? Like you, you have this brokenness with your dad, you have this brokenness with a friend, or, or like there's a family member that's, that's estranged. It's like there's the, the, the reality of just broken relationships. Um, there's, there's other things that, at play, like um, some people feel isolated. It's like, they're, like how many people come to Johnson City? Um, they're working in the medical industry, or they're working at Eastman, or they're working at another company, but this is away from their family, and because of their work schedule, they can't go back home. And so they find themselves knowing like, hey, this Christmas, I'm gonna feel isolated. I'm doing Christmas by myself. Um, for a lot of people, um, for mental health, like there's diet and exercise. You're like, man, like I have this rhythm of going to the gym. I have this rhythm of eating somewhat right. And then all of a sudden that goes out the window and you're realizing the effects of not being active is kind of taking an emotional toll on you. But There's all these things that, that bring about sadness. And so what I wanna do is real quick, I just wanna give you four ways um, that I think these are four things that can help you fight sadness, okay? Four things that can help you if you're feeling sad if you're feeling dark, that can help you combat that. Okay, the first thing is intentional gratitude. First Thessalonians 5.18 says, be thankful in all circumstances. All right, so intentional gratitude. Here's why intentional gratitude is so important. If you've ever seen um, the, the movie about Scrooge, Ebenezer Scrooge, all right, if you ever like, someone's like has there, have you ever had something like, anybody know what Ebenezer means? Because they sing it in that song, Come Thou Fount, and you're like, Ebenezer, Scrooge, it must mean being like a bad, mean person or just grumpy, and you're like, it's an altar. You're like, I never would have got that, right? But Scrooge, right, Scrooge, what does Scrooge mean? Like, I think of Scrooge as being this grumpy old man who's not happy, bah, humbug, right? So Scrooge... Has a dream, and who does he meet? Christmas past, Christmas present, and Christmas future, right? And so this grumpy ball humbug man wakes from his dream, and what happens? He's a different person. Like he's all happy and joyful, and he's like helping little Timmy, like it's, it's all good. He's like a different, a different guy. Did his circumstances change? No. But his perspective changed. Okay? When you are intentionally grateful, it doesn't change your circumstances, but it does change your perspective. It gives you lenses to see the world in a different way. And so in this season, like in in a season of thinking about what you might be able to get on Christmas Day, thinking about what all God has given you is a great way to change your perspective. And so what does that look like? How can you, think about like, how can you create a rhythm of intentional gratitude this season? Like, what would it look like for you for the next two weeks to, to develop some things that'll help you be grateful for the small stuff? If you come to the, the Martin House, um, every November, Lucy gets a plastic pumpkin, and that's our thankful pumpkin. And so when we sit at the dinner table, we go around the, the, the table, and we just let everyone say something they're thankful for. And we do that all November. And so we have seven thankful pumpkins from the time we've been in Johnson City that just list out small things. From I'm thankful for our church, I'm thankful for our neighbor, I'm thankful for my health, I'm thankful for your school teacher, we're thankful for food. Like, we just have all these things. We, we, the rule is you can't list something twice. But we, we And you're going to be amazed at how this pumpkin is full. Um, if you ever come to our, our offices, three flights of stairs, every staff member knows that I have a, a personal value of take the stairs. So every day I walk into this place, I walk three flights of stairs. Why? I've had two knee surgeries. I know what it's like to not be able to walk upstairs. And so for me, I walk the stairs and no joke, every day I say a quick breath prayer and I say, God, thank you for giving me the ability to walk up these stairs. Maybe it's developing or coming back to a pre-prayer or a pre-meal prayer where you pray before your meal and and thank God for the food. Like, I don't know what what it looks like for you, but intentional gratitude has the ability to change your perspective, not your circumstances, but your perspective. So the first thing is intentional gratitude. The second thing is schedule rest, all right? This is a season where we go 90 to nothing from Thanksgiving to Christmas. But in Exodus 2011, it says that God created the heavens and the earth in six days, and on the seventh day, he rested. And so think about like for this season, how many calendars are you trying to sync up right now? You've got your work calendar. You've got your friend group calendar. You've got your family calendar. And there's just so many things that are competing for your time. And we live in a world where the art of saying no is something that's completely lost. And so, so here's a pro tip, okay? This is something that, that, that I try to do every now and again. I need to come back to it, so I'm preaching to myself. Go to your calendar. Like, I'm a Google Calendar person. And just literally schedule out a block of time for rest. Maybe that's like, hey, family night, we're gonna protect this night for our family and I'm gonna block off from five to nine. And you block it off. Or maybe it's a a Saturday evening or a Saturday morning or a whole day during the season, but block off time. And then if someone says, hey, can you meet? Or hey, can you come to this party? Or hey, can you do this? You look at that calendar and you say, I'm actually booked. And you're not lying. Like you've booked yourself or you've booked your family, but you have to find a way to protect time. Because if you don't, something Will fill its place. So you like God modeled for us rest. And so we need to be intentional during the busyness of this season to make sure we're not just going 90 to nothing. We need to be intentional in this season to make time to slow down and to breathe and to rest. God did it, not because he needed it, but because we need it and he wanted to model for us a way to live. Okay, so the, the second thing is to to schedule time to rest. The next thing is volunteer. Okay, um, Mark ten forty five. It says Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so, if you look up just scientific studies or sociological studies, um, they would say that volunteering helps counteract the effect of stress, anger, and anxiety, and it has a profound effect on overall. Psychological well-being. It's like science just catches up to what Scripture has already told us. Like we need to know that like taking time to volunteer is so good. So maybe that's ringing the the bell at Salvation Army. Maybe that's um, volunteering at a soup kitchen. Maybe that's that's giving time to help a friend move or whatever it might be. Like, but take time to volunteer to to realize that Christmas isn't all about us. And the more self-centered you are, the more miserable you'll be. The more others-focused you are the more life you'll experience. And the fourth thing, right? So we've got intentional gratitude, schedule rest, volunteer. i see a fourth thing that is so good is spend time with people who give you life. Spend time with people who give you life. Um, Yes, we need to rest. Yes, we need to pull back and be by ourselves and breathe. Jesus did that all the time. And Jesus withdrew. And Jesus withdrew. It's all throughout the Gospels, okay? So yes, we need time to ourselves. But God for all eternity has existed in community. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We were created in God's image, which means that we were created to live in community. So if we are always isolated and we're not living with other people, we're not imaging our creator, and then we will experience a level of brokenness. So we need to schedule time to be with people that give you life. Here's here's why I say schedule time with people who give you life. You're gonna be hanging out with people whether you like it or not, right? And every relational hangout is going to do something to your energy, right? For some people, you hang out with them and they're like a negative two, right? Like they're gonna, they're gonna suck life out of you. You're like, that was exhausting, right? Some people are more like a negative one. You're like that was kind of weighty. I could use a little bit of a breather. Some people are just zeros. Like they don't really give you life or take life. It's just a neutral. But then there are people that you hang out with that are like plus ones. They give you life. There are people who you hang out with who are plus twos. They fill your tank. Make sure that every relational hangout you're having over Christmas isn't in that neutral or negative range. Make sure that you're fighting for hanging out with people that that give you life. So let me give you a. I'm going to give you a pro tip here um, because I know like some of you guys are the people experiencing sadness, and some of you are not. You're the you're, you're like the coffee. Um, happy people. And and so, but you have friends. Here's a great way to help out a friend, okay? If you have a friend who's struggling with loneliness, you could be their plus one or their plus two. But sometimes when people are in a dark place, the last thing that they wanna do is talk. But there's a power of presence that means more than you know. They're releasing movies right now. What would it look like for you to say, hey, let's go catch a movie on me and you take someone to the movies. The talking is minimal because you've got previews, right? And then you're like, I want to see that movie instead of this one. Um, and, but then you watch the movie and you sit, you sit with someone and maybe you don't say a word, but you have no idea. For the person who's struggling with sadness, the power of your presence at a movie can do more than you'll ever know. Just maybe, maybe for you today, maybe the thing for you to take away is like, how can I help my friend? And maybe that's it but there's a way that you can be that plus one or plus two for someone. But schedule time to to be with people that you know will give you life. You need it. You need your energy tank filled, okay? Now, all of these things are biblical rhythms that Jesus models for us. So I'm I'm not taking pipes pop psychology and trying to incorporate it into a sermon. Like, these are, these are biblical principles that science would then back and say, yes, these are good things, but we find them in Scripture. But these things are not ultimate, okay? These things are not ultimate. They're meant to point us to something greater. And so what we need to do is not just fight sadness. We need to find the ultimate light, and that's found in the names of Jesus, Verse six says that his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Let's close out with these four names. We need to realize that our ultimate hope in the darkest times is found in knowing Jesus is Wonderful Counselor. What we know from Christ is he has experienced everything you are experiencing, and so when you're, when you're in a dark place, when you're in a hard um, season, Jesus knows what you're feeling. Here, here's something crazy. Um, anybody ever read through the book of John? Um, if you read through the book of John, here's something that's interesting. I, I never realized this until a couple of years ago. Um, Joseph's never mentioned after the birth of Jesus. At the cross, Jesus looks at Mary and he says, behold your son. He's not talking about himself. He's, when, he, when he says, behold your son, he's not talking about, he's not saying, look at me. Um, when he says, behold your son, he's looking at John. Then he looks at John and says, behold your mother. And it says, from that day forward, John brought Mary to his house and took care of her. Why? Joseph died. Joseph's not on the scene because he, he passed away. Jesus knows what it's like to lose a loved one. Like, he, like And we could go down the list. What you are experiencing, Jesus knows the pain. And as a counselor, we can talk to him. And as he listens, he knows exactly what you're going through. Like if you ever sit down with a counselor, like they're, they're great at listening, but they also have a way of directing you and helping you go to a better place. And so Jesus has a plan as a counselor. He doesn't just listen, but he has a plan to point you in the right direction. He has a plan to pull you out of darkness and bring you into light. So as wonderful counselor, we need to know that Jesus has a plan for your life, okay? But here's the deal, he's not just a counselor, it says he's also mighty God. You see, it's one thing to have a plan, it's another thing to have the power to execute that plan. Like if you come to my office, I've got a big whiteboard and throughout the year, you'll see my brain just dream and I'll start writing things down. I'm like, second Sunday seminars and we're gonna do one on this and that and the other. And I'm like, this is how we're gonna do this. Like we're gonna, like all these plans. It's one thing to whiteboard something and have a plan. It's another thing to have the power to execute that plan. Right, so if you ever do a job interview and you speak in hypotheticals, that's not good. It's like, here's what I would do. Don't tell them what you would do. Tell them what you have done. Right? A lot of would do. So Jesus doesn't just have a would do hypothetical mentality. As mighty God, he has the power to see his plan through. So, as a wonderful counselor, he has a plan to bring you from darkness to light. As mighty God, he has the power to see that plan through. Then it says he's everlasting father. You're like, why does Jesus get the father title? Because you already have God the Father. That seems weird. Well, A good dad, and so some people have good dads, some people have bad dads. Like a good dad longs for their kids to succeed in life, longs for their kids to experience happiness and joy, longs for their kids to to thrive. Jesus, as everlasting father, he doesn't just have a plan and have the power to execute it. He has the passion to see it through. As father, like his desire his mission, like his longing in life is not only just to give you the plan and to execute it, it's like, he's like, i long for this. It's my passion to see this through. And then it says that he's the prince of peace. And so this is kind of the key to all of this. How does it work? How does it all unfold? Well, peace doesn't just mean the absence of hostility or the absence of conflict. It means the restoration, specifically the restoration of a relationship. So the way that Jesus will bring light to the darkness is through restoring your relationship with God the Father. You see, experiencing hope in the darkest times begins to break through when you enter into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That's where it starts. It starts with entering into a relationship and you can do all the pop psychology you want. You can read all the self-help books, all of the movies, all of the coffee, all of the cookies, everything you want and you will never experience true joy if you don't have a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. But then that light continues to grow as you do things like gratitude and serve and volunteer and rest and live in community as a way of seeing the greater thing in Jesus, that Jesus is your greatest gratitude, that Jesus is your greater rest. And when you see these things as a means to point you to Christ, you'll see that light grow and that hope get greater. And so our hope in Christmas, our hope in the darkest times is found through our Prince of Peace who has restored our relationship with God and who brings us into the light so that we can have hope. God, thank you for your word. We wanna be people who experience joy. We wanna be people who rejoice during Christmas no matter what the circumstances were given. And God, we know that comes through Jesus Christ. And so God, this Christmas, let us look to Jesus as our wonderful counselor. And let us look to Jesus as mighty God. Let us look to Jesus as everlasting father. Let us look to Jesus as prince of peace. Let us find light in our life and let that light grow through the gospel increasing in our hearts. God, is in your holy and precious name we pray, amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you're interested in learning more about us, you can check out our social media or website. Grace and peace to you.